Welcome to the Live Leadership Podcast with myself, Leela Singh. All things coaching, career, and personal branding. This podcast is for ambitious career professionals like you, wanting to create a life of choice and freedom, to be, do, and have more through overcoming limitations, to develop new perspectives and insights, and to redefine your success, be that in work, health, relationships, and so much more. In today's episode of the My Brand HQ podcast, I'm going to be speaking to Raj Subramayar. Raj is an international keynote speaker, author, and tech career coach who helps people to land their dream job and to become successful leaders. He has helped countless individuals to discover their zone of genius and leverage it to live a life that they love. He's a sought after speaker at various conferences and has been featured in numerous podcasts and publications, including Authority Magazine, Thrive Global, Addicted to Success and The Good Men Project. He's also the author of the new book, Skyrocket Your Career. In his spare time, he loves traveling with his family and discovering new experiences, which includes craft beer. In today's episode, Raj will be sharing with us cultural challenges he faced relocating to the US and how he adapted. The one thing required to make an impact in the technology industry and advance your career. Why there are multiple facets to hone in order to stand out from the crowd. Simple steps that we can all implement to enhance inclusivity in the workplace. And finally, some struggles that women face in the tech world and what part men can play in supporting greater diversity. So let's head over and hear what Raj has to say. Raj, welcome to the My Brand HQ podcast. How are you doing today? Let me know where you are in the world. I'm doing really good. I am from Chicago in the United States. It's been uh, oddly uh, warm here and for being November and uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And so is it the early morning there now? What time is it? It's about 9.15 in the morning. How about about there in London? It's it's coming in the afternoon. It's 3.15. So Uh okay. (laughs) half day ahead of you. So I'd like to say thank you so much for taking time to have a chat with me today. I'm really excited for our conversation. I'd like to just dive straight into that if, you might, if you're okay with that. Yeah, that so, yeah, let's get into it. Cool. So what I'd like to ask you, first of all, I know you moved over to the US from India. So tell me a little bit about that. What were the, the biggest challenges for you moving away from home in terms of the culture, work, people, that kind of thing? What, what were the challenges that you had to deal with? Yeah, so just to set some context, uh, I grew up in the southern part of India uh, from a place called Chennai. And I am the younger of the two kids. And I grew up in a family where my dad was super smart. My brother was a genius. And I was kind of average in everything. So that was kind of my childhood upbringing. And since a young age, I wanted to try different things. And I constantly kept comparing myself uh, with other people so that I could emulate other overachievers around me, right? And all those experiences led me to have high self-doubt, um, 
low self-esteem and I was also dealing with body image issues. And then during my second year of my undergrad, I had a trigger event where I realized that all my life I've been doing things for other people so that I don't disappoint them. <laughs> but by doing that, I was disappointing myself. And once I came to that realization, that's when I decided, you know what? I matter, I, I'm enough, and I'm gonna carve my own identity and I'm gonna strive for greatness, right? And that's when I declared power over my life during my second year of my undergrad. So this was way back in, I would say uh, 2006. So I was just trying to figure out, okay, now I wanna change my life, but what do I do? So I worked for a couple of years in India uh, in tech. My whole background has been in tech and IT. And then I decided uh, I should come to the US to pursue my master's in software engineering. So that's what led me to the United States. And I still remember this because <laughs> you mentioned culture shock. So here's a interesting story about it because it's going to set some context as well. So I still remember this vividly. I came in on August 31st, 2008, and I landed at the JFK airport. Then I get out of the gate. I'm super excited because everything is new to me. And then a person passes me and says, hey, how's it going? Then I said, yeah, it's going good. Uh, today's my first day, but they didn't listen. They just keep passing me, right? I thought it was really rude. And then I kept walking and then another person passes me and says, hey, how's it going? Then I kept saying, yeah, it is, I'm doing good. Today's my first day, I've come here for my master's, but they don't listen to me. Huh, why are people so rude? This is my first day in the United States. Then I finally get out of the airport and then there was this, I would say a pretty woman around 35, 40-ish, I would say. She asked me, hey, how's it going? Then I said, you know what? I'm gonna tell her how's it going because I've been trying to talk to people and no one is talking to me. So I started following her and kept talking to her saying, hey, things are going good. I came here from my master's. I kept talking and then she just stopped and said, uh, what are you doing? I said, you asked me how's it going? So I'm telling you how's it going? Then she said, weirdo. And then she just left. That's when I realized that no one gives a shit in the United States when they tell you how's it going, right? So that's a simple example of culture shock. So when I came to the US, I had to go through a lot of experiences like this. And as an immigrant and being in a foreign land, I, I was left with two choices. One is stick to how I was when I was living in India or adapt to the culture, the work environments, and all other things in the US. So that was my first uh, experience, right? And when I entered the workplace, I had similar kind of experiences as well. So one simple example, because I think this will really give some ideas to your listeners about culture shock and uh, immigrants life. So my first job in the United States was in a huge insurance company in 2009. And I still remember this. I was in this huge meeting with 25 people. Uh, they gave me a really critical task to accomplish. So at the end of the meeting, my project manager says, this is a really important task. So uh, we are counting on you. May the force be with you. That's what they said, okay? I said, okay. You know what the next thing I did? I went and Googled what may the force be with you actually means. 
then I found out it was a Star Wars reference, right? So, so these are simple examples in my real life, which I had to go through uh, in terms of the culture shock. And over the past 13, 14 years, I've experienced so many different things, good things and the bad thing and the funny things. And finally, I'm here helping other people in their tech in their tech careers as well, right? So that was kind of my initial experiences with culture and how I was trying to adapt to the current surroundings here. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And it, it's, it's things that we often take for granted if we've not experienced it, right? That, you know, people just understand what we're talking about or the reference point or that, you know, how you're doing, that people don't give a shit. So it's like, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, and people move on. But actually, in some cultures, people take the time to be present with that person and really are interested genuinely in how they are, um, which I think is, is where we're moving to a lot more now when we talk today about being present with people and being more compassionate with people. So that, that's great. Great examples there and some highly amusing and, as well. And one thing I just wanted to add was, uh, yeah, for in Asia and in Europe, usually when you actually ask someone how you're doing, they usually reply, right? And that's where the whole cultural difference is, especially here in the United States. And just one more thing I wanted to mention before we move on was uh, idioms and phrases are something which people have to get used to as well. So for example, uh, if they say just the cash cow of the company, it doesn't mean that they have a real cow. It's, it's, you have to get used to those phrases, right? Yeah, I know it's really funny when I say these things, but I had to figure it out <laughs> the hard way. Hmm. And even nicknames for people here in the United States, Robert is often called Bob. And then when I was working my first company, I thought Robert and Bob were two different people for the first two months, right? But yeah, <laughs> talking about cultural differences, these are the things people have to go through. It, it, it's interesting, like you say, it's, it's almost like a different language, even though it's still English, there's still a different language just because of the, the you know, the influences of the, the area, the locality, the country. So it can be very, very challenging. And so tell me then, what was it that led you to a career in the technology industry? So, yeah, when I was growing up, uh, I uh, grew up in an Asian community and those listeners who are Asians could relate to this. I was offered three choices, right? Either doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So I took the engineer route and that's what got me into tech. So I did my undergrad in IT and then uh, for my master's, I just didn't want to be coding in uh, one location. I wanted to know the overall software development process. So that's why I went with software engineering. And I was fascinated about different facets of software not only the tech standpoint, but even the soft skills, communication, collaboration, innovation, the creativity aspect of it. So that's what uh, made me stay in the tech industry. And I've been there for over 15 years now uh, because there's so many different opportunities when you talk about technology. Just simple examples, just take me. I started, started off as an entry-level software tester a software tester is the person who tries to find problems in your software before your customers finds them. So that's the software testing field. I started off as a software tester, moved into software development, then 
became a team lead, then became a manager, then became a developer evangelist, which is a fancy word for a person who speaks about technology and uh, helps in R&D and stuff. And now I'm a tech career coach because I've been leading teams for the past eight, nine years. And when I saw that I could impact people on a really larger scale, I thought, why not do it uh, on my own and have much more flexibility? So that's what led me into the tech industry because so many opportunities, so many different things you could do uh, based on what you're passionate about. And so what were you most passionate about when you started out in tech? What was it that really got you excited and wanted you to, to really learn more? So to be frank with you, it was fame and money to start with. I, th uh, I thought that if you be in the tech industry, uh, you're going to earn a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of fame, and then uh, a lot of credibility and a lot of things add on to it, right? So just like a lot of people who, are, who try to step into the tech industry, so I was under that mindset. But as and when I started working with people, I started seeing that fame and money is just one aspect of it but how you impact people through the work you do is something which you start realizing as and when you see people talking about it. For example, people would say, man, Raj, you built this utility for me. It has helped me quite a bit. Oh, you uh, said this in the meeting. Thank you, because I was afraid to say that, but you stepped in and uh, saved me and uh, saved the project. So once I started seeing these things, that's when I started shifting my mindset to serve people and make an impact rather than fame and money. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, interesting story is um, since mid 2018 or till mid 2018, from 2008 till mid 2018, I said yes to every opportunity that came my way. I was chasing fame and money and credibility, but I was impacting people as well. But then it happened. In June of uh, 2018, it was past midnight and uh, I went to the bathroom and within two minutes of me entering the bathroom, I started blacking out and then I pretty much passed out. So I hit my head against the bathtub and I was unconscious. And then my wife noticed this, uh, noticed that I hadn't been come back for what, 15, 20 minutes. So she gets off the bed and then goes to the bathroom and she sees me lying there unconscious, uh, butt naked, and I had no reaction or pulse. And then she started shouting and then putting water on me so that uh, I could regain consciousness. And luckily I was able to wake up, but I couldn't move my body at all. I said, honey, I'm not able to move. So she literally dragged my body out of the... Uh, bathroom and laid my back against the wall. And uh, to cut, the, cut a long story short, I ended up going to the ER and uh, they had diagnosed me with severe burnout, depression, anxiety, dehydration. And that's when it really, really hit me that all this while, um, my childhood trauma was chasing me, that is fear of being ignored. I always was being ignored since my childhood because I grew up in a family with other smart people. I didn't even realize that it was haunting me till mid 2018. And the reason I'm sharing the story is 
that's when the real transformation happened where I totally didn't pay attention to fame and money, but I started uh, prioritizing things which are really important to me, which will help me to make an impact on other people's lives and my life as well. And that's when the real transformation happened when I uh, shifted my mindset. So to summarize in terms of uh, what, uh, why I joined tech, it was first that I had the wrong mindset, but then later I went on to actually impacting people and I continue to do that. Anything which comes my way in terms of tasks, I filter it through a process which I have, my checklist, and then make sure it aligns with my mission and goals. And that's how I currently work and help people in the tech industry as well. That's amazing. What a story. What a, what a story. And it is, often is things that there's some kind of, um, whether it's a tragedy or something that happens to us that has us stop and just question what we're doing or why we're doing it. And almost that's, that's what propels us to create that shift in our lives. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. And, and tell yeah. me then, you know, with, with your passion for tech and obviously serving other people in the technology industry now, what would you say is the one thing that you advise people to do so that they can make an impact in the technology industry? Because it's very competitive, it's very saturated. So if you really want to stand out in that industry, what one thing do you need to do? Great question. That's what everyone is dealing with uh, right now as well, because just in the US alone, there have been over 30 million jobs which have been lost. And thousands of people are applying for same similar kind of jobs. So what is going to make you stand out from other people, right? So that's why this question is really relevant. So for me, the answer would be just one word or two words, actually. It's called personal brand. That's how you're going to differentiate yourself from other people. Let me give you a simple example just to set some context. Say you have your favorite brand of body wash. You buy it for various reasons because of the color, because of the fragrance, because of the packaging, because of the size it comes, yeah, comes with, and then because of, it, of the holdability, because of the durability. And there's so many different factors which goes into buying your favorite body wash, which you have been using for what, seven years, right? And your personal brand is the exact same thing. You cannot just focus on one particular thing and expect to stand out from the crowd because your personal brand is multiple facets of you. So for example, if you take Raj, which is me, you have different facets, right? So I, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, I'm a tech career coach, I volunteer, I, um, I, I uh, do a lot of free uh, sessions for people to help in their personal career growth. Uh, I love fitness. I'm a huge beer fan. I have 150 different types of beer in my basement right now. So there are different facets of you which helps to build your personal brand. So that is the one key thing which is gonna help you stand out from the crowd, especially in this day and age uh, when everyone is doing similar kind of things you need to figure out what makes you special, what makes people notice you, what makes people want you to be and work with them, right? So that's the mindset you need to have. So personal brand is something which is gonna be really, really important for you to grow in your career, find your passion, also start impacting people in a really, really uh, larger scale. 
Yeah, very, very important. Obviously, I would say that. But at the same time, um, I think it's it's about getting people to really recognize that because when people hear personal brand, the first thing they go to is their online presence, their social media presence. And actually, it's a lot more than that. As you said, it's multifaceted. And people really need to be encouraged to start recognizing that now and to start working on those different facets to be able to have that competitive advantage. So great share. Thank you. Thank you for that. Right? Yeah. And, and just to add to it, you bring up a great point because personal brand is not only online, your online presence, right? That is a really good point to stress over here because personal brand is also about how you show up to the table, how you show up at work, how you volunteer to do tasks which no one else wants to do. And there's so many different strategies which goes with uh, building a personal brand as well. In fact, I talk about that in my book as well That because there's so many different facets which is gonna help you uh, build that whole persona which other people can start paying attention to and start recognizing it as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing that people miss at the moment is that personal brand is the different facets of how we show up. And that, that's what I help obviously people to do is to, to, to get clear on how they're showing up, understand what, how they want to show up, how they want to be perceived, what they want to be known for. And, and I think it's it's really critical, as you say, particularly now throughout the last what, nine, 10 months in the pandemic, people losing their jobs, the job market's becoming a lot more competitive, a lot more tougher, that we all need to start looking at what we're doing differently so that we stand out and, and, and why is that important is because we want people to come to us. We can chase the jobs, we can chase the next opportunity, but at the same time, wouldn't it be a great place to be if we had people knowing about us, knowing who we are because we stand out. So they recommend us, they refer us and then they, you know, other people gravitate towards us, you know, for that promotion or to hire us. That, that That's a great position to be in. So. I think we, we between us, we can't emphasize enough the importance of having that strong personal brand. And, and right. I think just, just kind of moving on from that a little bit, what from an organizational point of view, then what would you recommend to organizations that are looking to, to build a more, let's say, diverse and inclusive environment? Because having had your experiences of moving from, from India to the US and, and things have evolved over time, particularly in the last few years it's become so much more um focus around dni within organizations what, what can organizations do better do you think to create that that inclusive culture great question and it's so relevant especially right now uh then there's a lot of things happening around us related to diversity space so let's first take a step back and set some context here just to give you an understanding of where we are uh, right now. So a recent survey by the uh, US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission found that just in the United States alone, still 70% of the workforce is white, 14% is Asians, 8% um, Hispanics and 8% African Americans. And that's the current situation we live in. And there's there have been similar kind of studies in Europe and Asia, which kind of reflects the same kind of narrative where a majority of the people are uh, not people of color. And that is the world we are living in. And another twist to 
add to this point is women in tech as well. So if you see currently, only 25% of women are in the tech industry all over the world. And it's been the exact same number since the 1960s, which is crazy. So that those are the reasons why diversity in tech is really, really important. And we had to pay attention to it, uh, especially right now. I think a lot of companies, especially the big companies, they consider uh, diversity as a numbers game. So what do I mean by that? Each of these large organizations are given a quota to fill, like a minority quota. If they fill in like 11% of the workforce with diverse people, then they could market themselves as the diverse and inclusive workplace and they can attract more talent, right? And that is the biggest problem right now because companies are not treating people as people instead of they're treating people as numbers. So that's just some context for us to understand and grasp. So that being said, what can we as companies, what can we as leaders or individual contributors do to change these things, right? I think first thing it starts with is respecting and understanding cultural differences. Currently, if you see, we work with people from different cultures, different regions, different race. And it's such a distributed work environment, especially right now during the COVID time, everyone is working remotely and you have to work with people from different regions. So that being said, we need to start respecting and understanding cultural differences. Say for example, a simple example is the concept of personal space, right? If you are working in a diverse uh, work environment and if you are at a company, people have different interpretations of what personal space is. For example, in India, where I come from, people are this close to you, right? And they breathe on you. That is okay. That's because that's what the culture is because people are really close to you and that's the way it works. But maybe some places in Europe and in the United States, that gets into the creepy level because you need to have a six feet space and you cannot breathe on a person and be next to the person, right? That's just a raw, simple example of why we have to start understanding cultural differences. Because when people do that, you immediately have to think about, okay, are they doing it to be creepy or are they coming from a different context, right? So I asked a clarifying question saying, hey, uh, you're really close to me. Uh, just was wondering whether uh, you could give me some space here, right? So you should have that uh, conversation instead of immediately thinking that, okay, this is bad, this is, uh, this is not appropriate, right? So first is respecting and understand cultural differences. And the three to four things which I'm going to describe right now, it kind of feeds into the reforms and other things organizations are doing as well. So I think that's why I'm covering these things, which will add on to the reforms and changes we need. The second thing you want to do is have mindful text conversations, which is really, really important. In this day and age where we are ruled by Slack and... Uh, Microsoft Teams and then Skype conversations. And especially when you converse with people in the group, you have to be mindful on what kind of words you use, what kind of giphys you use, what kind of pictures you use, because some things may not be appropriate for people in different cultures. So you have to have mindful text conversations. 
The third thing is really, really important, which is you need to have diversity and inclusion trainings. Because a lot of people I work with, I worked in about eight companies right now. I've led teams of 50 people. And I've noticed a lot of people haven't traveled 50 miles past their birthplace. I, I thought it was crazy because as an immigrant, I'm here at a foreign land, thousands and thousands of miles, right? But apparently there are still people due to various reasons who haven't traveled, uh, who haven't traveled that much compared to other folks. So it's really important to have DNI trainings because they need to know what different types of culture exist. What are different types of behavioral patterns? What are different types of uh, problems you may face when interacting with a diverse workforce? So DNI trainings is something important. And just a couple of things quickly I wanted to mention was you have to enable and encourage open conversations. So for example, when I was leading a team of 50 people, once a month, I used to do this potlucks where I used to kind of enforce it <laughs> because people get lazy sometimes. I used to enforce them, enforce this where I asked people to bring a native food from their culture to share with the entire team. As simple as this may sound, but the power of it is amazing because this is what happens. When people bring different types of food and share it, it automatically starts conversations. Say, for example, I give them Indian food. They would say, wow, this tastes really good. So what, what do you put in this food? What is the significance of it? And then we start talking about the culture thing, right? Food is a great conversation starter. That is one great way to do it. And in general, just have open town hall conversations about what people are feeling, what they're going through, especially here in the United States, we have a lot of stuff uh, related to racism and things going on. So as, um, as companies and organizations, as leaders, we need to encourage these open conversations to happen. And finally, one thing which I wanted to add was just a fun thing, which is celebrate holidays, different types of holidays because that's what helps people feel included in teams. For example, uh, I am originally Indian. I'm still Indian actually, because, but, but I became an American citizen. But anyway, the point is I'm Indian, right? And then you have people from the United States and you have people say, for example, from China, you have people from different regions. Whenever you have different types of holidays for them, celebrate it as a team. That's when people feel included. That's when they feel empowered. That's when they feel they're part of the team, right? So there you go. Those are simple strategies which you can follow right now to make a change. You don't have to do great things to do it. You can be an individual contributor and just pick one or two things from this list and start making the change. And these kind of feed into the reforms and programs which like Google, Facebook, and all those big companies have as well. But it starts with these basic elements which make up uh, the building of uh, having a diverse uh, and inclusive work environment. Yeah, and, and, and you share some, some great tips there. They're simple things that anyone can do. You don't have to be, you know, the, the leadership team in the organization. You can be an individual contributor and still take action on some of those suggestions that you've made. So that, that's really important. And it's also important to recognize that DNI is not a tick box exercise. It is about what can we practically do 
to create that more diverse, inclusive environment for everybody. Um, so yeah, re really great shares there. Thank you. And and just one, to, sorry, go on. Just one thing I want to mention because I think this is important is uh, a lot of people do not realize what foreign uh, uh, people have to go through when they work in a foreign land, right? Because we have to go through a lot of stereotyping. We have to do a lot of adapting, right? So a simple exercise, which I tell people is, who do not understand why people are different is, I would say, think about this. If you say, for example, a, a person who was born in America, who doesn't have any context of culture and who keeps saying, hey, it's, I'm finding it hard to work with these people. The, the thing I used to ask them was, okay, let me give you a scenario. You go to India for six months and you've never been to India. How would you feel? How would you react? And what kind of help would you need? That one simple question that make them start thinking, huh, now I see it because if I go to a foreign land, I'm looking for people from my culture to connect with first because I want to share the problems and experiences. Okay, now I see it. I also see that how we have to have two mindsets. One is sticking with their roots and another one is adapting to the foreign land, right? So just switching that question and then making the other person feel with empathy helps to realize what immigrants or what other people who are, who are in a foreign land have to go through. Just wanted to add that before we move on because I think it's a really powerful thing which people can do right now to make other people feel what they are going through right now. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a very powerful question to ask because it, it simply comes back to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and be compassionate, understand what they might be going through. What would you be going through? How would you be feeling? so that you can then um, connect better, you can uh, and resonate better with them and understand what they might be struggling with so in order that you can help them and you can build a greater connection with them. So it's a great, great, great question. Thank you. And, and you mentioned earlier as well about um, there only being 25% of women in the tech industry. So give me your perspective on that. Why is that? And what are the struggles that women are having with that? And, and what can men do to help towards increasing that number? Really powerful question. And there's so many different aspects of it, but uh, I can shed some light on a couple of things based on my real life experiences. So first thing is we have to understand what women have to go through their struggles, especially in tech. Let's just take my wife who's in the next room as an example. She is an IT consultant and she's the only IT female consultant in a team of 35 men, right? And you may say, huh, okay. But the real highlight here is this is the exact same situation we are seeing in so many different companies where there are one or two uh, women in tech, and then they're surrounded by men. And because of that, what happens is people do not realize what they have to go through, right? A couple of examples would be mansplaining, which is a really huge thing which keeps happening. <laughs> For example, my um, clients predominantly are women in tech. Uh, they're VPs, CEOs, and that's whom I coach in the tech industry, right? And there's this uh, one of my clients she is 
the VP of engineering and she reports to the CTO. And she has these leadership meetings where she has to meet with CEOs, CTOs, other directors. She's the only woman in the leadership team of 10 people. And whenever she suggests an idea, the other person will repeat the exact same thing. The male, the man in the room would repeat the exact same thing and they get credibility for what the woman said, right? So mansplaining is a really big thing which happens in the tech industry, which people don't even realize it. In fact, I was a person who used to do that initially when I started off my uh, career in IT. But once I started leading teams, <laughs> I started realizing, wow, I've been doing this all along and how many people have I affected because of this, right? So that is one simple thing which happens in a lot of companies which we have to stop doing as men because uh, we have to give women folks an opportunity to showcase their ideas. And then when they object to something, you have to take the criticism, just like how you take criticism from other men. Because when women object, they are portrayed as aggressive instead of assertive. But when the man does the exact same thing, they're all okay with it. And that's the world we live in currently. And it hurts me. Yes, I'm a man, but I can, see this happening in real life and as leading teams, then happening to my wife right now, happening to my clients, right? So those are some examples of issues women have to go through. And one simplest example, because this is gonna be really important for your listeners is, women are by default assumed that they have to take care of the family. It's this old way of thinking in uh, at least till our previous generation, I would say. So I have a one-year-old kid and when my wife was on maternity leave, her CEO says, hey, I know you're on maternity leave, but uh, after one week of uh, getting discharged from the hospital, could you just uh, uh, attend some meetings? <laughs> Dude, seriously, you have maternity leave for a reason and women have to go through a lot of stuff physically when they give birth. And here the CEO says after a week, hey, could you attend meetings, right? And she said, hell no, of course. So these are common problems which are happening, right? And as men, what we could do is recognize that these problems are happening because that's the first thing you need to recognize these things are happening. Second thing is have uh, programs to, for women empowerment within organizations. And there are two ways to do it. One is if there are women leaders already in the leadership position, they could actually kickstart this because then a lot of women can relate to it and they can also, uh, they'll be more willing to participate in those programs when actually a woman leader does it because they know that the woman leader gets the context of what they are going through as well, right? The second way is as men, we can help encourage women empowerment by having more women leaders because in big companies, about 75 to 80% of the leadership positions are men, right? Once we start encouraging women who have equal creativity, equal talent, equal experience, once we start promoting them to leadership positions, and that's when change happens because when they see, okay, there are some women leaders, then it gives uh, some reassurance to other women in their mid-level, junior-level careers that, okay, there's a future for me and it's not a male dominated society or company.
right? I think that's that's how we can start slowly implementing change. But main thing is it starts with recognition that these problems exist. And second thing is what reforms and uh, programs we could put in place to encourage women empowerment and change that uh, persona of how we view women from the olden ages to how women are right now, because they are equal contributors to the family. In fact, more, they, they a lot of women earn more than their significant others, right? So we need to start recognizing that. Awesome, thank you for that. that. There's a lot in there again, both for men and women in terms of what we can all do to, to create that change and create a shift in perceptions and 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 the way people behave, the way people see, um, you know, women in the, in, in the workplace and particularly in a male dominated environment and what can we do to create that shift? So the good shares there, thank you. And, and finally, Raj, um, I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about your upcoming book. I believe it's, it's now gone live. It's available on Amazon. It's called yep. Skyrocket Your Career the no bullshit approach to finding your dream job, be successful in it and transform into a rock star. So tell us a little bit about that, why you wrote it and uh, and what we can gain from reading it. Yeah, thanks for giving me an opportunity to share some insights into my book. So this is a thing. People currently feel anxious about their job security. They feel stuck in their career and they're Millions of people who have been in the receiving end of mass layoffs. And finally, you have people who want to make the leap in their career, but they have these fears of the unknown. And I was in the exact same situation in 2008, where I applied for 1,293 jobs, 1,293 jobs from beginning of um, 2009 to end of 2009 to be exact. And I got four callbacks from 1,293 jobs. And I converted one job out of it, right? And that whole experience taught me that there's so many different strategies which goes into play when you start, when you apply for jobs, because people, the default mode is to apply for jobs when you're panicking. So what happens is you blindly start applying for jobs, applying for jobs, and then, you realize you're not getting any callbacks and then you get even more depressed, right? That's because people do not know what type of career they want, what their interests are, and what is going to make them happy and bring them joy in their work, right? So this book was kind of the reason for, uh, to, I wrote this book so, to address those issues where how can you find your dream job? Because there's so many strategies which goes into play. Because for the first 500 jobs when uh, in 2008, which I applied for, I had no clue what I was doing. But for the next 700 plus jobs, I started figuring out different strategies to stand out from the crowd and find the dream career. So that is one thing which I talk about. Then I talk about salary negotiation uh, and then uh, how to ace interviews, right? There's so many different strategies. And then the last two sections is, okay, now you found a job, how do you be successful in it, right? And then finally, how to be a rock, sack, a rock star at work, setting yourself miles apart from the competition, right? So this book is all about my real life experiences along with strategies. And then I weave both of them together so that it makes it more actionable to people to apply in their real careers as well. And when I was reading a lot of self-help books, 
they either talk about experiences or talk about strategies, but they didn't tell me how these both both of both of these two things weave in together, and that's the gap my book is going to fill. Uh, and yeah, so uh, if you are at the forking point of your career, if you are low on self-confidence, if you need guidance, if you want to transition to leadership roles, if you feel stuck in their, your career and looking for different ways to stand out from the crowd, then this book is definitely going to help you out and it's called Skyrocket Your Career. Fabulous. Well, congratulations on becoming a published author, Raj. And Thank you so very much for having a chat with me today. And you've shared a lot of great nuggets of information that will help our listeners and the system in propelling their careers forward, but also creating a more conducive working environment as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And if people want to connect with me, I'm, I hang out on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my uh, jam. So make sure you follow me there. And uh, you can check out my book at skyrocketyourcareerbook.com. And you can find all information about me there as well. So thank you so much for having me. It was awesome sharing my insights on different things related to tech. Thanks, Raj. Take care. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so. And if you enjoyed and gained value from today's episode, then do please leave a review telling us your key learnings and what you enjoyed the most. And do please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can spread the word on life leadership, creating a life of choice, freedom and new possibilities. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And if you would like to learn more about how we can work together, either DM me on LinkedIn or email me. All details and resources can be found in the show notes.